Okay, we are rolling. We are rolling. Hello, Robert Chambers. Hello, James Call. <laughs> it's good to see you. Uh, I haven't seen you in years, so this is this is kind of uh, auspicious in several different ways. And and now we're going to uh, um, talk about your life, uh, both well since, especially since I saw you and back in the old hypno days, uh, but um, especially since that. We'll talk yeah. about hypno too, but for sure, yeah. So anyway, uh, you're in San Francisco, right? So I've been in the Bay Area and San Francisco. I migrated there many years ago, and that's kind of like the last permanent residence that I had long term. And uh, after that, I've been traveling around a lot. Uh, Going different places for work, um, checking out different places, branching out in the Bay Area and stuff like that. San, San Francisco um, kind of changed and and got expensive, and so I had to maneuver. Not unlike San Diego. Yeah. Uh, We're catching up. Yes, yeah, San Diego, yeah. I mean, I, I, was, I was in a house that... Cosmo and his mother and I were in until uh, a year and a half ago. And so that kind of, we couldn't get into a new place. Couldn't afford it. Couldn't afford where, I mean, she was working. Cosmo was working. I, uh, I was, I had income, pretty normal type income, you know, and uh, it wasn't enough. San Diego made a push uh, decades ago to be, on the list of world-class cities with San Francisco and New York. Sure. And I don't know if it's a re- as a result of that, but uh, a lot of, a lot of what's happened is, um, you know, bed and breakfast stuff. Um, a lot of investment, uh, real estate, people who buy the house and don't live in it. Uh, there's a lot of that. And I, it's forced people out. Sponsored stadiums. Right. Jack, Jack Murphy turns into Qualcomm. I don't know what it is now. It's it's still Qualcomm. Well, um, it's it's in a flux right now. They're trying to. They don't know what they're going to do with it. Maybe tear it down. Maybe turn it into a soccer stadium, uh, run by uh, San Diego State. I, I don't think it's. I don't think they've come down on a plan yet, though. But. Uh, so, okay, what I remember is uh, you were hanging out at the loft with us uh, when it was there on 6th and Broadway, and uh, I, I remember the art that you were doing, and we used some of it in, your, in the magazine, in Hypno, Hypno Magazine, and, and, uh, and then there was, there was music going on, and, you know, the, so are you still doing art? I'm still doing art personally. Yeah. And and trying to hang on and stay practiced. Um and a lot of times I'll do something really amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um I've done murals, uh some graphic design, uh you know, some product design just like t-shirts and skateboard graphics um and uh also uh so selling canvases at at events nice 
Um, so I like got into erotic art and uh, showed art at Folsom Street Fair in San Francisco. Oh, no kidding. A couple years in a row and stuff. And uh, it was very it was very successful. I was successful at it. Um, made it made a bunch of cash. Cool. Those days and took it home and also uh, doing art art exhibits um, at clubs, nightclubs and stuff, um, T-shirts and logos and flyers. So it was it was working. And that was the same thing that I was doing uh, years back in San Diego. Um, And when I was doing it in San Diego in the 90s, uh, there was a lot of skateboard companies popping up and a lot of uh, clothing lines. Uh, the first ASR show oh, uh, really? happened at the convention center, I think 1990. And I was probably around 16. And uh, that just really impressed me and all my friends because um, we were skating and we were in a graffiti and stuff. The the graffiti scene was popping, skateboarding was sure. popping, and uh, the music scene was popping too. Well, so you were up there when you were sixteen? No, uh, I was there. So the when ASR I was show in San Diego, or yeah, oh, ASR okay. in San Diego, oh, okay. first one, yeah. and um, just a lot of stuff happened. There was like Tony Hawk, right, showing up and doing a nine hundred degree air. Sure. For the first time, one of the first times. I don't know. I thought it was the official first time, but yeah, then right. I start hearing different stories <laughs> over the years. Yeah, cool. So it was about 93 that uh, um, I moved into the loft and Hypno was going off and, and we had kind of teamed up with the circle of friends in the loft. And, and so that's when I met you. Yeah. And, you know, things things were really strong, and I was really wild at the time. And uh, stop bragging. Yeah, <laughs> I was. I mean, I felt I felt kind of famous um, from from the attention that I would get. There was raves going on. Right, right. Um, and uh, so so like I think the union tribune did a story on the loft and right. Like my picture was on the front page and well you, I think you were one of the visibly cool guys that were hanging out there. Not all, some of us were kind of nerdy. And so, um, and I know that, that the loft did get a cachet of being this ultra hip thing that was going on downtown San Diego. So, um, you you probably were a pretty good visual for that. So Yeah, so that photo the photo really worked. It was just like a little one of the one of the pictures on the front page and it was like a little box in the corner of like this kid with his hat on backwards <laughs> on, on the computer. And, right. You know, doing some graphics, like doing graffiti on on the computer and it was sort of innovative sure. for the time. Sure. I, you know, it seemed like everything that was going on up, it was an exciting time. Everything that was going on up there was sort of just ad hoc. 
we were making it up as we went along. It was all kind of new. There, well, there was a party there, some parties, and um, yeah, you know, the world showed up, right, uh, to those parties. You know, like Danzig showed up, right, right, Glenn, Ice, uh, yeah, um, Matt Groening, yeah, he was there. Yeah. A, a bunch of artists, uh, and and musicians, right. Um, Chemical Brothers played, right, and they were like they were at the top of of their game at the time yeah or about to be um no they were uh, well yeah what was their hit uh brother's gonna work it out maybe yeah yeah and so they had that then didn't they yeah they had a hit yeah. record yeah yeah and and uh they played their um djs you know and and like and then at, at a certain point everybody would show up all the youngsters would show up and everybody would be there and super famous people would be there. Um, well, Brandon Powers and, and Chris Howland started doing the Narnia shows. and Narnia was happening. Um, um, Rob Zombie showed up. Oh, right. Uh, Michael Manning was a, an artist that I admired and, and he showed up with... Uh, a partner named Midori and did some body art. And like, that was the first time I saw that. Like, Oh, right. Some fetish body art painted live. And, you know, there was kind of a funny story about Rob Zombie. Rex and I, and, and Cosmo, Cosmo's, I don't know, five years old at the time, six pot at the outside. And we'd gone up to LA and, he and I were both wearing Hawaiian shirts because we were going to this lounge party up there. So Cosmo and I were both wearing Hawaiian shirts and black slacks. And, you know, I mean, he's a young kid and I'm his dad and he thought that was great. We'd dress alike, you know. So um, we meet Rob Zombie and I got into this long conversation with Rob Zombie about Les Baxter. Turns out he was a Les Baxter fan. So who knew? (laughs) So... And and he he took note of Cosmo and I being dressed alike, you know. He, I mean, he's a he's a little kid, you know, and so he's this little version of me, and it was kind of cute, you know. So, all right. So a few days later, it's Comic Con, and he's down in San Diego, and he's there for the party at the loft and and all. But we went to this other party. It was in a, one of the vacant lots around the exactly. Yeah, and so so Cosmo and I had both white shirts on, black suit coats and in these black pants again, So and ties. So we're both dressed exactly alike again, and we run into Rob Zombie. And so, so he noted that, and he thought, God, well, these guys dress alike all the time, you know. So, yeah, those were heady days, absolutely. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, some, of the, some of the really underground raves like, uh, the one in the San Diego hotel in the basement mm-hmm. that was kind of unauthorized and good one. Yeah, that was a good one. But, uh, yeah, but as all things, uh, come to an end. Yeah. And it, and I think that, uh, the zeitgeist had to move on. Yeah. As it always does. I don't know where it is now though. Honestly, I don't either. It's a little diffuse. I think it's, I think it's gelling around something, 
Um, and mm-hmm. it's and it feels like it's political at this particular mm. point, but we'll see, eh? Yeah. But um, so I, I we had to move out of the loft. I remember that, and so um, partly it was because Hip, Hypno got taken over by this guy from Ad Age magazine, and he got one issue out and killed it. Um, he didn't know what he was doing. And, um, so I went with Rex and Rex and I were doing culture deluxe magazine, uh, out of a, um, well, he found a different, you know, place to put it. And I had that, uh, my, my place on Broadway across from sushi deli and, uh, and I don't know that that uh, you know I was there for three four years, but I don't know if Culture Deluxe lasted a year, maybe a year, and then it was done. And so and and but by that point, all the people at at the loft had kind of you know split up and gone their ways. And so what what happens to you? This is this is like nineteen ninety nine, two thousand, two thousand one. What's going on with you at this point? Uh, a lot of things, uh, happened right after that. Like, um, so I, I started working with a clothing line, uh, doing streetwear and uh, yeah. graffiti streetwear. Um, I remember that they had Cosmo model some stuff at, in hypno. I, I remember once. Right. Right. Yeah. And then I, um, I found out about, uh, I wanted to move to San Francisco and get more cultured. And so I found out about another clothing line. Uh, and uh, they're called Cosmic Debris, and they did Emily the Strange. Huh. And, I, and I worked on that, and I felt really good because it was super popular. Um, and But no one knew that I was a contributor. Um, and so we started making products up there and like I had a job in San Francisco and stuff like, and I would like, I would move back and forth and test the waters for a couple of years until I really could settle down. You know, like I worked at between San Diego and San Francisco. Yeah. 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 And I worked at like, had a job at Virgin mega store and stuff. So that was my like regular job. And then I finally got an art job Uh with, with cosmic debris and I was making like hourly, a really good hourly wage. And so then I started living in San Francisco when it was a little bit easier. Right. (laughs) Than it is now. Than it is now. (laughs) Trying to get an art, try to get an art job in San Francisco now and, 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 and and make enough to live there. Right. You must be good. So, and I just think that there's more, there's so many more people in the industry now and it's super competitive. Right. Like you can, you used to be able to sneak up on it, um, but not anymore. You got to come in like gangbusters now. Everybody knows that, that a, a uh, concept artist is like the thing to be, you know, and you used to be able to just be creative and and land something but but now it's just super optimized like people are studying it and there's way more 
colleges and college courses uh, teaching it. It's just really big just because the game industry makes so much money um, and it's and it's gotten into it's gotten into I think the billions like wow used to be hundreds of thousands right right like like uh, GoldenEye like James Bond GoldenEye was a a a super groundbreaking game and I think that that made as soon as that made 300 million um, um, it just really blew up from there and before that you know the anime industry uh, licensing anime and and remastering anime for America was like in Forbes magazine for the, like the fastest growing industry. So I think it I think it's probably games right now. Um, well, that's interesting. It was. Uh, I mean, it's not surprising, but it's also who could have said you know, what it would wind up at. I did a show recently that was all music from video games. Um, and it was an interesting show. It's like, it's like there's, you know, there's social media. There, there was the social media boom. Yeah. And, um, and like the, you could, you can recognize it by just the success of things like Oculus, the uh, virtual reality goggles, but oh, right. I guess, I guess Zuckerberg bought it and it'll go, you know, industry and and capital will go back and forth between something uh, really creative and then it'll go back to like, you know, pornography. Uh Right. (laughs) And then it'll go, it'll, you know, and then it'll get into, so I've seen like DVDs. I remember when DVDs started and. Right. And. uh, Sure. The internet and. And it just, it's really, it's really interesting. Um, so it's like, I kind of think about what's next. Um, but for me, um, so then I, then I was completely, after a while I was completely relocated in San Francisco. Um, and, and, uh, I think it was like the year 2000 and there was, uh, there was about to be an X Games. And it was going to be the first X Games. Mm-hmm. And it was going to be in San Francisco. And I was living there. And uh, and I was a skateboarder. And I thought that there was a chance that I might be able to practice. Um, and, and maybe make a showing, an appearance, somewhere in the X Games. But I needed to practice. So... I would skate uh, daily, practice, um, ride local spots, um, and some of the spots aren't there anymore, like Union Square and Embarcadero, uh-huh. um, and Hubba Hideout, about uh-huh. three spots that barely even exist anymore. Uh-huh. They're either skate stopped or got security in place or completely bulldozed. Um, so, so skateboarding, and then I started to to develop a plan because I needed to, you know, I needed to derive a livelihood as as a youngster, 
um, in, in a way, in a creative way, which was all that I ever knew. Right. So, so I was going to skate, get some notoriety, try to, try to connect to the X games, try to connect with everything that was going on. Um, do my art and make merchandise and kind of, uh, you just parlay a little bit of fame. And I think that that's what we all had to do. Yeah, sure. Um, so, so I came up with this, like I, I, I thought all weekend, uh, one weekend and I just really was, I, I discovered, you know, uh, introspectively just that out that my back was against the wall um as far as my future mm-hmm. so i just i just racked my brain for for 3 days straight and i was like getting dehydrated working on sketches and stuff and um i came up with this idea for a clothing line and i needed it, it sort of had a gimmick um and so it was going to be called Sinco. Hmm. Um, and so basically I was going to sell sin and, and I, is it two words or one? It was one word, uh-huh. but I knew that I knew that I knew that sin sold like, like, like with the ASR and, and the popularity of it, there's the magnitude walking into the San Diego convention center and, and seeing huge booths and, and, uh, seeing people get famous and making a lot of money. Um, I was going to, I was going to try that one more time. Um, and there were like, there really were like clothing lines called porn star. And then there was like, there was like this girls gone wild success. Um, and so I was trying to do something like that. And, and so I figured, yeah, you know, pornography doesn't have clothes, but, um, maybe they can wear some while, while they're taking them off (laughs) and I would create those clothes. (laughs) And so that's, that's where I came up with Sinco. Um, um, and it was like, maybe there was some copyright issue that I would make it copyright free. So you wouldn't have to pay me for uh uh appearing with with my brand uh but I would get publicity and advertising oh wow yeah. through, through that that underground thing um and then it could have changed into something else after that but that's how I wanted to start it off um so I thought I needed like a business license and this was like a really legit thing I came up with the perfect logo and like the S had horns on it, <laughs> and then the O had like had like a little dragon tail, right? Um, and it came out looking similar to a skateboard company uh, that was real big back then. It was called World Industries. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I had the perfect logo, and I had like some, I had some like business plan formulating. Um, and so I 
I, uh, I I'm headed to city hall. So I get, I get my stuff together and, and I had a little cash. And so I headed to city hall. Um, and, and there's like a, there's like a courtyard down there in San Francisco right before there. And I'm skating across there. And so I go up the stairs, uh, to city hall. Um, and right when I go in the door, um, a cop comes up behind me and, and grabs me. And, you know, at that moment I was like, wow, you know, I don't know what's going on. Maybe, maybe I'm just so hype right now. Like, like I just have to, I got to figure this out. What is, what, what is this? Um, you know, I don't, I don't go into official buildings that much. And, and, and right when I did, they're checking me and like, I knew I didn't really fit in and they had to like, you know, they were starting to scan my skateboard in the metal detector for whatever reason. Um, so it was like a, it was like some security issue that I thought I messed up. Right. Cause, cause I'm, cause I'm getting arrested. Right. So I get, so I get uh, arrested on the steps of city hall. And, uh, this is the year 2000. Um, and so they take me to the police station, um, and put me in a room and, uh, like, I guess they, uh, it, and it was like, it was like, uh, some sort of sex crimes room. The investigator. Um, and, and so I'm in this room s- sitting there by myself for a while. And, and it seemed like a really long time cause I didn't know what was going on, but it just didn't look good. Right. And I just didn't like my freedom taken for one second. And it's something that I never, I, I rarely did for the most part. I'm an artist and a skateboarder. Right. So that, you know, there's a, there's a limit to how much trouble you could get in. So, uh, this just already seemed a little bit worse. So I'm sitting in that room and they finally, they like offer me some water and then it starts to be like a movie. You're sitting in a room interrogation room by yourself. They, they offer you some water. You wonder what's the catch to even, to even that. Um, and, and with a little extra twist just for, for being a young black kid. Right. Yeah. Um, so, but they're, they're, they're offering to take care of of that immediate physical need for water. Yeah. Like a glass of water. Is there something in it? Right. (laughs) You know what, you know, they're trying to, they're trying to apply you for cooperation. Right. But I knew that I never did anything to get in that much trouble. Yeah. I was, I was like, I have always been deathly afraid of that, like running our streets and stuff. Like it would get rough, but I would never want, you know, kill somebody what if i killed somebody right you know 
I wouldn't want to live in prison forever. Right. Um, so I kept it mellow, but, but I'm sitting in this room all of a sudden and yeah, I just think that I just wanted out already. Like what, what, what's going on? And I'm probably going through my head trying to figure out what it could be. Like actually like what could it be that, that I've actually done? Right. Um, so it turned out, uh, the investigator comes in and starts an interview. Um, and, and a lot of stuff just started happening. A thousand things just started happening around me. Just being, you know, well, what's across the table. Uh, he starts asking my whereabouts at certain times. Yeah. And like, wow, that's just got to be a trap right there. <laughs> just even for a guy like me, like my whereabouts at certain times. I know I didn't do anything, but, but I'm just, I'm just out. I'm just doing my thing, just living, you know? And so I have to account for my whereabouts and I knew, and I knew where I, my, where I was. I happen to know. Um, and he starts asking me about a, a certain night and, and what happened that night was I was out. Uh, skateboarding um and you know uh my girlfriend was at work and i just didn't have anything much to do that day except for you know practice like i said i probably was carrying around my sketchbook um and and so i was over by union square and Union Square was a skate spot and was kind of shut down. Um, I didn't want to go to Union Square because every time I would go to Union Square, I'd end up drinking and smoking. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I and I I felt like it was about time for me, you know, to to find a path. Um, so I was actually across the street from Union Square. uh looking at some art cause there's some art galleries there and I'm looking at some art and just dwelling on, you know, improving my career as an artist in all these different ways. Um, and then I saw some musicians, a little <clears throat> band busking, um, outside and, and I was watching that and then I was just doing my own thing. And I wasn't getting in trouble at all. Yeah. Um, so so a woman uh walks up to see the band too about the same time. Um and and so she was like just the only there weren't a lot of people out that night and she was the only person that wasn't with the band, so I stroke up a, a conversation with her. Um and I wanted I wanted something to do for for the rest of the night that I had. And so I asked her if she wanted to have some wine. Um and she ended up accepting. Um so we went back to her place uh on the bus 
to drink some wine. And then we buy a bottle of wine at a nearby liquor store. And uh, she, I think she runs a building um, in in the San Francisco area. And, and so she has a spare room for us to hang out in. Uh, so we're in there drinking wine. Um, and it was just like this bottom floor, maybe even a basement. And it was like, no, there's like no windows. It was a, it was like a total box. Um, anyway, but, but I was fine with it. And she, she was sort of an interesting person, uh, to spend some time with. So I was hoping to have like a new friend. Right. Um, and then I would always have, you know, something, something new to do. And, and, uh, yeah, I just had a lot of imagination for, for it. And, and so that's what we were doing. And we were drinking wine. We go to the roof and have another glass. Um, and then I go back to the room and she's got to go to her, she's got to go to her real apartment um, to, I guess, uh, use a restroom or something. So she goes up to her real apartment and then uh, I'm sitting in the room and I look at my watch and it's about time for me to go. So, so I get up to, to uh, knock on her door and I knock on her door and she doesn't come to the door and I'm trying to tell her, Hey, I got to go. Um, but she doesn't come to the door. So I look at the watch again and it's really getting late. Uh, so I just decide to leave and I, and I hustle out of there. Cause I know, you know, I'm like past, I'm like past time. I got to meet my girlfriend after work and it's all the way across town. So I hustle out of there. Um, I go outside. Uh, I'm like, I, I'm, I'm bickering with myself, mm-hmm. you know, like, man, what am I doing, man? I'm out here so late, man. How am I going to get out of here? I'm looking for a cab. Yeah. Um, and I think that I, I think that I hear, I think I hear some noise, but I can't really figure out what it is. And so I just think it's a television. Um, but then I rush out to, uh, another, like another street or so down. I just find a direction to go. Cause I need to get to like a main street where there's some traffic because there wasn't any traffic where I was at. And then I just happened to find a cab and I jump in the cab and I go to my girlfriend's work. I pick her up a little bit late, but it's all right. And then I go, I go back home. And I was actually, I was actually in Oakland at, at the time. And then and then I start working on my business plan. Um, and so that was the weekend. And like three days later, I come back into the city and that's where I, I get arrested. 
um, on the steps of City Hall. So there was a kind of cir- I just kind of talked myself in a circle there. But what happened was when I left uh, the woman's apartment that I was drinking wine with, uh, some woman was attacked. And I passed right by and didn't know it. So they were picking me up for that. And that's why I was sitting there uh, getting interrogated for. Mm. And then I end up getting getting charged and they book me and they put me in jail. And now I'm stuck in jail um, for some woman getting attacked. And I didn't, I just couldn't figure it out. So I started to. What was the the charge assault or it, uh, yeah like so it was a it was a attempted rape uh-huh right and so and so while i was sitting in jail i i'm like trying to go through all the details of that night and all the details of uh the days surrounding it um and, and, and like, I would find, I like, I finally met with a public defender. Um, and, and I'm like asking questions, uh, the whole way, you know, trying to, trying to figure things out, not knowing anything. And then some of the time I was talking, you know, with the prosecution side trying to figure things out. Um, and, and so I passed, I passed by a, an attack that night and there was a guy there that said that he was there and he was helping the victim and he saw me, but I didn't have anything to do with it. Um, and so it was, it's like, so there was his ID of you as a person who was nearby. Right. And, and so that was like one of the angles, the, one of the types of angles that, that I was trying to figure out to, uh, understand what was going on. And then there was like, there, this is like, I didn't even notice anybody that night. And, you know, it was dark. Um, but I guess there was other, there's another couple of people. Um, the woman had a dog. Um, and, and so, Basically, I figured out that this guy really was attacking this woman. And when he saw some big, tall guy. The guy who who ID'd you. Right. Uh Uh-huh. So, like, so, like, when when he saw some guy, like, flying by on a skateboard, you know, it was an opportunity for him to point the finger away from him. And uh, and the woman that I was drinking wine with came out and thought that I had something to do with it because I was leaving like around the same time. So 
so the the original police report um, changed from like a five ten uh, light skinned guy that sounded like the guy um, that said he was there, and then they changed it into a six foot guy on a skateboard that fit my description. Well, where did this original description come from? Uh, the original description came from the people that were on the scene when the cops showed up. Well, what about the victim? What did she say? And uh, the victim was unconscious. Ah. Um, so they weren't able to uh, give a police report. Um, so that that ended up that ended up being a factor a few times a few different times later on and um so so they they create a a, a photographic lineup of five random people and me yeah so there's like six people on there right but um i would bleach my hair and so they, you know, not a lot of people were bleaching their hair right. at, at the time. I mean, people thought that I was like copying um, somebody famous by doing it. Right. But, you know, I was just trying to be avant-garde. Um, but they couldn't find anybody like that. So they photoshopped these five other guys badly so they badly photoshopped uh, a photographic lineup they they take it to the liquor store and uh the guy said the guy picks me out but i'm the only one that's not photoshopped everybody else is like badly photoshopped i'm not photoshopped so he picks me out to to say that i was i don't know friends with somebody anyway photoshop uh, <laughs> was primitive back then and the skills were primitive too apparently <laughs> so so bad like a bad like a bad police lineup photographic lineup the the description changes um from the police report on the scene and I start to get, I'm like, I'm actually starting to get shoehorned into this, this role of guilty. Um, and, and so, so I start getting preliminary hearings for a trial. Um, and there was even a, a DNA test. Um, and all of this was going on for a year. Um, and, and along the way, I'm what sitting, was the, what, what material did they test the DNA of? So they found, they found some material on, on the victim's clothing. Um, and, and, 
And so they had like they had the DNA of the victim, some unknown material, uh-huh. and then they went to my house and and tested my stuff. And so they needed to see if my stuff matched the, the DNA. The, on the, her yeah, yeah, clothing. the other DNA on the victim's clothing. Right. And of course it did not. Right. Uh later on during the trial, uh they presented uh the DNA test as inconclusive. And I'm like, what do you mean inconclusive? Like DNA evidence is the most conclusive evidence uh we have. And and uh you know, I knew exactly why it wasn't conclusive. The stuff <laughs> did the stuff didn't match. It didn't ID you. You know, and I just thought that I thought that I was gonna get released at that point. I thought that I was gonna get released when when uh when the witness came forward and said it wasn't me. Uh and 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 I kept thinking something would go my way and things just never went my way. This sounds so familiar to me. I interviewed uh, this, uh, this guy, uh, Uriah Courtney, who uh, was accused of a rape that he didn't do. And he, he kept saying that at every moment. I thought somebody would come in and, and say, okay, uh, we've, you know, we made a mistake or we, you know, this evidence doesn't lead conclusively to you and, and they'd let me go, but that never happened. And so the trial started getting towards the end and, you know, it was actually complete and the jury was out for deliberation and they deliberated for eight days. Wow. Um, you know, and and I was and I was ready and I was hoping to to get released, be not guilty. Um and the day that they were supposed to come back with a verdict, I was waiting for for court that morning. This is it. This is the end one way or another. Um, But in county jail, no one was going to court that day. Court was canceled that day. And we were trying to figure out why was court canceled. Wow. Especially me like this. I finally came to the end of all of this. And now now my verdict is canceled. And we found out that what had happened was um, two, two planes had attacked the world trade center. Oh, gee. Um, and San Francisco thought that maybe with all the attacks that were going on that day, that, uh, the golden gate bridge might be a target. Uh huh. So they, they shut down local government. Right. Um, so, so eventually the TV comes on and we, we see the, the towers falling 
And at that point, I felt like, you know what? The jury's not going to have time for me. They're, they're going to say, they're going to, they're going to say I'm guilty and they're going to wash their hands of this long trial and deliberation and they're going to go home to be with their family. They're, they're going to recuperate from this attack. Wow. I think that I'm finished. And I guess like a few days later, sure enough, they come back and say I'm guilty. And so I go off to prison for a heinous crime that I couldn't, I couldn't imagine. I would, I, I couldn't imagine being in that position, but then I was, I always had that fear because I would see movies, you know, and, 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 uh, maybe I would hear stories and then I would like think maybe this, you know, this is something that comes along with racism, right? You know, so I better watch out, you know? And so I, I stayed away from that or, or else I tried to, but now I'm like in, I'm in this sort of cliche, you know, and, and it's really happening and it sucks. Right. So I'm shackled and I'm on a bus and I'm going to San Quentin. You know, and uh, basically stressed out. Um, While I'm there, uh, I'm just thinking about an appeal. And there's there's an automatic appeal. That happens and I'm and I'm. That that uh, starts and I'm and I'm waiting for that to develop. And so I'm just trying to adjust to prison life. That's going to be for like seven years. Um, and, and like, I just like lose touch with everybody in the process, you know, um, for the most part. And, and so after a while, um, I try to, I try to contact the innocence project. I'm kind of, I, I, I'm kind of quiet about it though. Mm-hmm. Like I just, I just can't get like jailhouse legal help. Right. So I really don't know how to describe what happened to me, you know, and, and there's really a lot of stigma that goes with it. Like, like you don't want to get locked up, but you don't want to get locked up for a sex crime. Right. Um, and then there's that thing where everybody says they're innocent. Right. You know, and I'm just stuck behind, uh, a lot of bias, 
you know, I'm like, I'm stuck behind all the bias in the world, you know, um, and I didn't think that I was equipped to, to fight a fight like that. I was actually, uh, much more shallow before that. Like I really, I really, you know, sort of prided myself on, on being a child forever and just riding skateboards and drawing pictures, you know, and now I'm around killers. Yeah. So, so I was quiet about it and there was a lot of, like I said, a lot of stress the entire time was very tense. Um, I definitely went to church and I thought like, you know, the story of the Bible is about a guy that was falsely accused. So, so I, I think I definitely got some help there. Um, so, so far, uh, I am still, uh, unexonerated. Um, some people to this day don't understand or believe. I feel betrayed at times. Right. Um, and it's still a little bit tough, but I just try to live as much of myself as I can. And I try to stick to my identity. And so it's victory for me to continue to do art, continue to ride skateboards, uh, continue to go to shows. And lately, um, I made a point of visiting uh, as many people as I can, just even any friend, acquaintance, or relationship, or family that I could uh, show up in person and tell them how I feel about them. Right. Tell them that I care and and I I care about personal relationships much more. Um, because uh, growing up, like as a really young child. I went through a lot of stuff and little, like really had a hard childhood. Um, and so it made me distant from people. Um, but it also sort of made me used to oppression. So when I got locked up for this, I just figured that this is what happens to poor people or black people, you know, so. Well, certainly, uh, um, I, and I did interview Justin Brooks of the Innocence Project and, uh, and that's what he confirmed that wrongful conviction is disproportionate to poor people and to black people. 
and other minorities as well, but uh, especially black people, though, yeah. And uh, to, um, it's not easy to get the Innocence Project to take your case, too, um, unless, uh, especially in, in California, uh, it, the uh, the standard is is kind of high to uh, reopen a case. Uh, it has to there has to be evidence that leads inexorably to innocence. Uh, other states, it's just will it have changed the outcome of you know would it have lessened the sentence? Would there have been some sort of difference in the culpability? Um, but California, no. It's, a, it's that high standard. And um, and the only taste cases that they take is ones that DNA will make a difference and and can show innocence. So it's not easy. Uh, there's many cases where people are wrongfully uh, accused and wrongfully convicted, and DNA isn't involved, and so they can't even take them. Yeah, and I wonder, because I, I feel like they may or not may or may not be able to take my case or someone like that and so i'm 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 thinking about building it myself because there's still a dna sequence that you know it like looks like it looks like a row of dots or smudges on a right, paper right right looks it looks like a scan it. it looks like a scantron yeah and it's like a dna signature and there's like one uh DNA signature in my case that they never matched, but then they never tested the uh, so-called witness that was right there. So I think he kind of like deflected uh, the attention away from himself onto me um, that night. And uh, they never tested his DNA. I think they would have found a match and, and I would have been free, but this is like after, um, I'm like, I'm like in trial and then I also uh, testified, but I'm like, I'm like scared stiff right. the entire way. I'm like literally shaking in the courtroom. Um, Did you do the whole seven years? Yeah. Yeah. Was it all in San Quentin? Uh, no, it was a bunch of, bunch, bunch of places. Of, they moved you around. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm my plan is to somehow tell this story to the to the point where uh attention uh gets focused on that unaccounted for DNA um so so the guy the guy was my witness but at the same time as he was my witness um, he had to, he had to plead the fifth on the stand because, uh, he was being, uh, investigated about, uh, some other sex crime that he was trying to commit. Um, and then down the road, uh, he was actually murdered. Um, and they never figured out who did it. So I'm thinking that 
a cold murder case could be solved. Um, perhaps maybe that's a motive for somebody to get this bad guy. Right. But, but also I think that his DNA might be available. Um, so to, do you, do you have test. any, any help at this point on, on this plan? Um, I have right at, at this moment, I have an attorney that's helping me. Uh-huh. Um, and, and also, uh, friends and, and, uh, so you're, you're just trying to clear your name at this point. Right. Yeah. Cause you've done the time. Right. And, uh, it's, it, it's, a it's a really rough life to live when, with, with that this, over you. yeah. Yeah. With the stigma attached to my name and has anything positive come out of the experience? Uh, I become a lot deeper person. Uh-huh. Um, um, I studied, right. Um, I met some great people. Mm-hmm. Um, matured. Yeah, I guess. Because I mean, I, I care about more important things now. Right. Robert. (laughs) That's, that's a terrible story. It's, it's, and it's, it's a thing that, uh, as I, as I said, I, I interviewed Justin Brooks of the innocence project and, and he gave me some numbers on, on, uh, um, I mean, they, it's impossible to say how often people are wrongly accused and wrongly uh, convicted. Uh, but it seems like it's way too much. And he said that the, um, the greatest cause of wrongful conviction is, uh, misidentification by the victim. And then the second is, um, Police malfeasance, uh, doctoring evidence, uh, planting evidence, uh, lying on the report, um, those kinds of things. So, um, and one of the impediments is you to to getting a, a case reopened is you've got to go to a prosecutor and say, "Hey, you made a mistake here," and in some cases, it's some you know, murder case that they built their reputation on. And now they made a mistake. You know, they don't want to hear that. Uh, so there's lots of, of that kind of thing. It's why it's something of an uphill fight. You know, I thought that when, when the trial was happening and I was in jail that, you know, halfway through, I mean, it's, it's like people are coming forward saying I didn't do it. And the DNA is not matching. And, you know, maybe it's time to let me go, but like, they're going to have to pay me or something. Right. Like they're, they're motivated to keep me in, you know, or else. Right. 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 So there's definitely that, that aspect 
to it. Um, well, I want to thank you for coming down and telling your story. Uh, I, I think, you know, a lot of people don't understand how big a problem it is. Um, and that, uh, um, the justice reform, um, it's, I think it, it should be, um, a big thing in people's minds when they make political choices and it should be a big part of their calculation on, is this person I'm going to vote for, or is this policy I'm going to vote for, is this in the direction of social justice and, and fixing a system that clearly fails too often. So I want to thank you for telling that story. Thank you for having me. All right. We'll talk to you later, Robert.